0: I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 3. We were here last weekend uh, for, for a little bit as we began to look at the disciples. Mark chapter 3, and I'll invite you to stand as we receive this passage, and then we'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But let's begin here where we left off last week. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Are you ready to receive this? Are you excited to receive it, or you just want to go home? We can go home if you'd like, but uh, let's, let's do this. Hear God's word for us today. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to them, to him, those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them, he gave the name Boanerges, or whatever. I still haven't gotten that figured out. Which means, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to begin here when Paul writes in verse 26 these words. so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. As you're coming down the hallway right along the Family Life Center, we have strategically put our core values. And one of the core values that we have listed there is simply this, that loved people don't do life alone. Now I want you to hear this, you are loved this morning. In fact, the Bible in the New Testament, we see the the writers of the New Testament 30 times when referring to the church, they say, you are beloved. You are loved so much that God sent his only begotten son that who would ever believe in him should uh, should, should not perish but have everlasting life. He has designed it to call you so that you could live with him forever. And you will hear me say this, I think, often as your pastor. One of the best gifts that God gives to his people is his people. We have so much he has given us, but one of those graces are the people that are around you this morning. Now, I would argue the fact that one of the main ways that God uses to grow us, to make us better, to shape and mold us, is actually the people around us. And so it's important as a follower of Jesus who forms this community, who he started with just these 12 disciples, I ask the question, am I in relationship with the people of God? To what extent am I in relationship with people who will call me up, who will call me out, who will make me better and allow me to grow in the ways that God wants me to grow? Because loved people don't do life alone. I remember when I was in junior high or probably high school too, I I don't know if you remember the cafeteria experience of those days, but it seemed to me that students kind of had this habit of dividing themselves up according to which tables people would sit in by their level of coolness. Is that something that they still do? I, I don't know, but but you know, according to how well, your coolness factor is, where you kind of ended up sitting, and I never quite knew where I fit in. In fact, probably it's fairer to say I didn't want to acknowledge where I fit in the most. So more often than not, I found myself hiding, going to the office and volunteering as a worker there, or going to the student council office and working in the workroom there, studying or whatever it was, just to avoid the uncomfortableness of that moment. Now that's a part of me, maybe it's a part of you, but I am not lost in the fact that there are people who come to church, who come to this place, who don't quite know where they belong. Where do I fit in when I uh, ended up going into church ministry? I candidated to work at a church. I went there, was all excited, got really nervous, and it was really, really clear, really, really fast, I was way out of my league at that church. But I've been here now for 26 years, and it's taken a while for people to catch on, that maybe he doesn't quite fit in. Or is it that, in fact, God has a way of creating a community where everybody fits in? That's the kind of thing he wants. It turns out, listen, my friend, that he wants someone in this church just like you. How do I know that? You're listening to this message. Whether you're here or you're online this morning, I want to make it clear, God has called you. Now, we looked at some of the elements of God calling these disciples through Jesus last week. Last week, we specifically looked at Simon Peter and God, Jesus naming him, and James and John, the sons of thunder. And I hope you remember, if you were with us, that that those guys had their issues, and that was my whole point. But we saw the difference it made when they had decided to be with Jesus. And I wanna continue that process this morning as we look at the rest of these disciples. And so let's go through this list together very quickly. The, The next disciple I want us to consider is that of Andrew. Now, if you look at the list, Andrew is always listed as the fourth disciple, but primarily we know who he is because he's always described this way in scripture. For instance, we see this. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Now, this is how Andrew is often uh, described. He's always noted as Simon Peter's brother. Simon Peter was the one who was always getting the attention. He was the one who was well-known. Andrew, just kind of a tag-along. Now, what is kind of ironic about that is it is Andrew, not Simon Peter, who was the first one to discover Jesus. He realizes that Jesus was the Messiah, and you know what he did? The first thing he did was he went back and he got his brother and he said, I found him. Why don't you come and see? I wonder, therefore, if Andrew after those years with Jesus, didn't at times get a little upset because Simon was the one who got the cool nickname, Rock, Peter. He he was the one who got to preach. He was the one who got all the attention. Anybody who who ever calls Andrew is always Simon Peter's brother. That's Simon's or or Andrew's identity. Nobody ever says, well, there's Peter. He's Andrew's brother. It's not like that. Most of you will probably not have any idea of what I'm talking about, but when I was a kid, there was a show on television called The Brady Bunch. You remember that? Some of you do, uh, here's the story of a man named you know, Brady, that kind of thing. Well, remember that there were, on, on one side, there were three sisters. There was Marcia. she's the oldest one. And remember, Marcia, she's the glamorous one. She's the one who got all the attention. And then there was the middle sister. And do you remember her name? She, some of you remember this. And she got fed up with being the tag-along all of the time. And her pet phrase for that was, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Everybody loves Marsha. I want you to think about Andrew, because I wonder if his, if his reaction wasn't similar. Simon, Simon, Simon. Everybody loves Simon. You know, the neat thing about Andrew is this. Every time we see Andrew in Scripture, every time he's doing something, you know what he's doing? He's bringing someone to Jesus. I just told you about his brother. When he he came to know Jesus, he went and got his brother Simon and said, come, let's go see Jesus. There was one time when Jesus is teaching, the crowd is getting hungry and they're stirred up, they're not quite sure what to do. It's Andrew that finds a little boy who has some fish and a couple of loaves and brings him to Jesus. One time uh, there was a group of Gentiles who were kind of interested in Jesus, wanted to see Jesus. It's Andrew who brings them to Jesus. Andrew was a special man, didn't get a lot of press, but he knew how to bring people to Jesus. Then if you look at this list, you'll see a guy named Philip. Now what we know about Philip is, is that Philip was born in the town of Bethsaida, which is also, by the way, where Peter and John and Andrew were born. And so those men probably would have known each other. They went to the same school. They'd gotten to know each other very well. And so just naturally, there would have been a click Uh, These guys already before this discipleship group, when the rest of the disciples come in, perhaps the question was, well, how do I fit in? How do I enter even into this clique? And you know, as I thought about that this week, I realized, you know, that can happen in the church. You know, one of the hardest things to do is enter into a place where people are already established and comfortable. Listen, if you've been here a long time, you know how things run, you know what to expect, you're comfortable here, you have your friends, and it can be very easy, can it be, to form these cliques where we exclude others, where we we aren't cognizant of the fact that there are a lot of people who don't feel like they fit in. One of the things that we all have to do when we come into this place week by week is say, how am I gonna grow my circle today? Who am I going to get to know? How am I going to interact with someone so that they know they fit in? That to take initiative, to reach out, to, to make that circle larger than it is. Our circle should always be growing. Let me tell you about another disciple. His name is Thomas. You've probably heard of Thomas. In fact, we usually refer to him as what? Doubting. Doubting. Thomas. That's, that's how he's most uh, best known, I would think. And the reason is, is you'll remember that uh, after Jesus' resurrection, Thomas wasn't there initially. And so when he heard the story that Jesus had been raised again, he scoffed. He said, I'm not believing that. Unless I see him face to face, unless I see the the handprints from the nails and and touch the wound in his side, I'm not gonna believe it. He doubted. He doubted. Now, the interesting thing about Thomas is that we run into him a few times. We do get a chance to to know a little bit about his character. But one of the things you'll also note about Thomas is that he is also known as Didymus. Didymus. Why does that keep coming up? Didymus is the Greek word for twin. So Thomas is a twin. Now, I want you to know that very often in the ancient world, twins were a bad omen. Think about it. If you had twins, that meant your risk of life, of losing your life as a mother or losing the life of both children were exponentially much higher. In the Old Testament, there are only two sets of twins mentioned, Jacob and Esau, Perez and Zerah, and in both cases, they did not get along with each other. So twins in the scriptures, I mean, you know, you end up with someone like Dave. Dave is a twin, and you know, you just kind of it's, it's that's supposed to be a joke, Dave, but they, 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 they take that seriously. But you know, in the ancient world, now this wasn't as true in Israel, but in the ancient Roman world at large, the second born set of twin boys was often so unwanted that they would often let them go and die of exposure. they just put them out on the street. The oldest son, the firstborn, would receive the cool name, the, the name of the family, the name that would be passed on, but the second born would just simply get the name twin. It'd be like in our day, uh, Thomas, by the way, Thomas, the word that word is in Aramaic tama so in Aramaic his name was twin in Greek it was twin that's what they were doing so he didn't really come with much of an identity on his own so it almost like would be like in our day when a second born twin son is named we'd name him xerox or something like the unnecessary one the repo like like, look, let me try this on you. Twin boys are born, you, here's my son Pete, and repeat. <laughs> or twin daughters, you'd have Kate and duplicate, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, be nice, be nice. It's New Year, be kind. I'm trying to make this interesting, okay? But that's kind of what Thomas is feeling unnecessary. And there's almost this duality. For Thomas, right out of the gate. He's a believer, but he's a doubter. He's doubting Thomas. He's a believer, but he's a skeptic, too. One time, Jesus was going to Bethany. Lazarus was sick. He was going there to raise Lazarus from the dead. The disciples knew that if they went to Bethany during that period, Chances are things were going to get really difficult for Jesus. Things were going to be really tough. And the scripture says that when Thomas found out where they were going, this is what Thomas said. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, that's not a very encouraging thing to say. That's not very cheerful. That's not very uplifting. Listen, Thomas is not a cheery guy. He's always kind of those Eeyore kind of characters, I suppose, I suspect. But but listen, there was a place for him. Does anybody in this room ever doubt? Does anybody in this room ever go to prayer and you you hope, but you're not sure? Sure. Do you ever feel negative about something we've announced or about something that's going on and you're just not quite there? Listen, Thomas, never going to make the cheerleading squad. But there's room for him in this community. I love what Bonhoeffer said. Bonhoeffer said this. He said... The exclusion of the weak and insignificant, the seemingly useless people from a Christian community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. In the poor brother, Christ is knocking at the door. Do you understand what he's saying there? Christ comes to us in unexpected ways. And when Jesus begins to form a dream for the kind of community he wants to have, it's very different from the normal community that is always built on, well, on my team, I want the very best. I want to draft the blue chippers. I, I want the smartest. I want the, the most intelligent. I, I, I want the, 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 the most gifted. But because Jesus is a part of that community, anything becomes possible. And so listen, when I think, you know, I just don't want to deal with those people. I I, I don't want to deal with the insignificant, the useless, the frustrating. I can be shutting Jesus out. And then if we think about it, guess what? I'm the weak one. (laughs) I'm the useless one. And yet that's where God shows up and he redeems the world. Let me keep going here because there's a point. The next guy I want to introduce you to, his name is Simon. Wait a minute, we have another Simon and to distinguish him from Simon Peter, he is known as Simon the Zealot. Now the gospel writers are telling us something very important there when they tell us that he is A zealot. To be a zealot meant that you were a part of a a political party, if you will, or uh, uh, with aspirations of driving the Romans out of Israel. You were zealous for Israel and, and its freedom. You hated the Roman occupiers, especially you hated Roman soldiers. You wanted to get rid of them, and if violence was necessary to do it, then so be it. That was a zealot. In fact, the only people that you would have hated more than Roman soldiers would have been tax collectors. Tax collectors, why would you hate them so much? Well, they were Jews who had compromised and decided to collude with the Roman occupiers. And not only had they compromised and colluded with, but they were collecting money from their own people, often at exorbitant rates, often cheating their own people to pad their own pockets and make themselves rich. They were the worst of the worst. Simon the Zealot is one of those disciples who says, I want nothing to do with people like that. Can you imagine then, he watches while Jesus gets approached by a Roman centurion and the Roman centurion begs him and says, my son is dying, can you help? And Jesus says, I'll help. And then Jesus says to the centurion, I had never seen such great faith in all of Israel as I have seen in you. Can you imagine what Simon the zealot thought of that? Jesus, you're driving me crazy. We're not supposed to like these people and now you're telling me that they have faith? Are you kidding me? There's only one thing worse, and that's a tax collector. Oh, and wait a minute. There's a disciple named Matthew. You remember what Matthew did? He's a tax collector. Can you imagine this group? And Jesus goes to Simon and Matthew and says, Why don't you guys bunk together? Don't you think just Jesus was having fun with that? You guys learn to get along. They drive each other crazy. This is my point. Christian community is not the place you go to get away from difficult people. I got news for you. Christian community is not the place you go to get away from difficult people. There's a great Quaker thinker named uh, Parker Palmer. I found him in college years ago, but I love this when he stated, community is that place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Community is that place where the person you least want to live with always lives you ever notice that that's a truth that there's a corollary there it seems to me and when that person moves away someone else rises up to take their place that's just kind of the way it is and what I want you to hear this morning is when when you get involved in the church When you get serious about this community, there are gonna be people who are gonna be from a different political persuasion and think differently than you, and it's gonna drive you crazy. When you get into that Bible study, or when you get into that growth group, there are gonna be people who drive you a little nuts. Maybe it's about politics, maybe it's about something else, but that's part of how God grows people. Bonhoeffer makes this observation. He said innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream. In other words, there's a fantasy out there, a picture of what we think it should look like, of what we think people should be. He says God will destroy that dream. This is how he says it. But God's grace speedily shatters such a dream. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely we must be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general. In other words, don't be surprised. You're going to be disappointed. Jesus' community is where Simon the Zealot always finds Matthew the tax collector. And Jesus says, okay, guys, love each other. So listen, if you find yourself frustrated, disappointed, unnerved by someone in church, stand in line. You're in good company. God is forming you just as he intended to do. It's part of his grace working. Now, a lot of us avoid it. You know how? We just don't get involved. We just separate ourselves away. We're not going to get hurt. We're not going to get mad. We're not going to get disappointed. We're just alone. God wants to change that in this dream that he has for the church. Now, there are a couple of more disciples. There's one named James. He is not the brother of John. He's a different James. He's known, in fact, as James the Less. <laughs> Can you imagine that kind of a nickname? Then we have Thaddeus. Thaddeus also went by Judas. Judas. You can probably figure out why he preferred Thaddeus after uh, certain things happen. In fact, uh, when the apostle John mentions Thaddeus, he calls him Judas, not Iscariot. So that's how he's always delineated. About all we know about Thaddeus is that he asks one question at the end of Jesus's ministry. That's all we ever hear. The disciples were always, if you follow and you study these men, you always understand that they had this agenda. They thought Jesus would surely embrace that when Jesus would demonstrate that he was Messiah, he would throw the Romans out, he would take over, he would declare God's kingdom, and therefore he would be a royal master, put on a crown, and then therefore these disciples would be in his cabinet. They would take positions of power and wealth and influence. That's what they assumed would happen with Jesus. But Jesus, of course, was always countering that. He was always saying to these disciples, listen, I'm not headed toward a crown, I'm headed toward the cross. Finally, you think, after three years, these men would get that by now. On the day before Jesus dies, Jesus is eating the Passover meal, is about to eat the Passover meal with the disciples, when what happens? Thaddeus, or Judas, not Iscariot, asks this question. Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Now, Jesus has spent his ministry describing what his his ministry is all about. We often say, you know, there's no such thing as a stupid question. This proves that that is not true. He's been with Jesus for three years. He's heard him teach again and again about what Jesus has come to do. How could Thaddeus miss it? But what we love to see, what I appreciate so much, is the patience of Jesus. And in the next two chapters in John, once again, Jesus outlines why he came, what he came to do, God's plan of redemption and you know that, what, what that excuse me, and you know what that reminds me of in every group there's someone who doesn't quite get it you ever been that person who always feels maybe a half step slow just doesn't quite understand yet there's room for you too We have Bartholomew. We don't know much about him. Um, All we basically know is his name, Bar, which is in Hebrew, son. Tholomew, which would indicate uh, farming or furrows. So maybe he was a farmer, a son of a farmer, son of furrows. Maybe Jesus turned to him and said, and everyone who has left houses or fields for my sake will receive a hundredfold as much and will inherit eternal life. We we just don't know much about him. And of course, then there's one more disciple. You knew we would get there. His name is Judas Iscariot. Just, Just listening to that name causes us to conjure up the image of a thief, a betrayer, a liar, Judas Iscariot. That name just evokes infamy. You realize there was room in this community for him too? I'm amazed when I think about it, but even after Judas betrayed Jesus, Jesus still called him friend. <laughs> But Judas made the decision to actively decide, I'm not gonna be a part of this community any longer. Tragically, he separated himself from that community. All this to say this, this is a weird group. This is not the group that you would have put together. This is not the group that, uh, there's no one in this group that would have made this team great. Let me ask you who made it great yeah it's not a trick question we're in church we can be bold about this who, who made this team great yes. Jesus did and that is the point I want to make this morning as we start 2022 what makes Christian community Christian is not the presence of Christians It's the presence of Jesus. What makes me want to be here on Sundays when we gather together is because Jesus is here. He said, if there are just two or three of you together, there I will be in your midst. And so right now, I don't understand it. It's a mystery. But the one who created everyone in this room is right here. And he's with us. He is what makes this moment glorious. Special. Beautiful. That's why I want to be here. I love all of you. I I, I sincerely can say that. But the reason I love all of you is because God is given me a sense of his love for me and I just want to love him back. And when we begin to give ourselves away to that presence in community, he begins to change us and challenge us and direct us and teach us and yes, correct us at times. But Christian community is always about the experience of Jesus. Jesus leading and Jesus teaching and Jesus receiving the glory that only he deserves. And, and when Jesus is there, when Jesus is present, the truth is I behave differently. I don't remember exactly the details. This was many years ago, but I, I, I recall this vaguely. I think I was in a Target and I was purchasing something fairly large. It was gonna cost me some money and I was with my uh, youngest son Micah and we were headed into the checkout and I only had to get this one thing so when it went across the scanner it came up as something reason, unreasonably inexpensive like, like $6 when it was supposed to be over $100 and, and the, the, the lady, who, the other lady at the other side of the counter didn't, wasn't phased at all. She said that'll be $6 and, I, and I, Chris, I'm thinking I'm about to make the purchase of a lifetime here, you know? And for just a moment, I'm standing there thinking, do I say something, do, you know, kind of thinking this through, and then I looked over at my son. And I noticed my son was standing there. And I don't know that he would have been aware of anything except that he was there. And I found myself saying, you know, you maybe need to look again. This doesn't seem right. You ought to correct this error and I ended up paying whatever it was I was supposed to pay. Now, I don't know if I would have done that if Micah wasn't there. I'd like to think I would have, but I think the reality is, I'm a better man when I'm with my family. I'm a better man when my wife's around. I was a better man because Micah, my son, was watching me. And I think that holds never more true when I realize I'm a better person when Jesus is present. And that's what we get when we come together in community. We experience the presence of Jesus. And yeah, we could ignore it. We could be blind to it. But the presence of Jesus is available to everyone in this room. He has called you to be his child. And that becomes the key to how we relate to one another. When we're together, what does Jesus want to say to us? When we're together, what does Jesus want to teach us? Jesus, what do you want me to do? Jesus, what do you want me to change? Jesus, how do you want me to give? Jesus where will you lead me next but i believe i I audaciously believe that jesus is here and that makes all the difference and i look at that group that that motley crew that that were were called the 12 disciples and they were messed up and they were mixed up to be sure But what are the odds that 2,000 years later, we'd be on the other side of the world and that circle would still be growing? Unbelievable. But here we are. And we are united in this testimony. We are called by Jesus. Called to be saints called to belong to Jesus Christ, called to be the, in the fellowship of his son, called out of darkness, called into his marvelous light. We are called. Are you living like it? What's Jesus calling you to? You're a part of that, part of following and being a part of that great community that Jesus dreamed about. You have a place here. You are a part of this family. Be patient. God wants to use those around you to challenge you. But be selfless. What is God calling you to this year? He didn't choose many mighty, not many noble, not many wise. We know that. But when you consider He called me, I get excited. Because I think about, Lord, what do, you, what do you want to do with our church? How are we going to make a difference this year? Am I willing to say yes to that calling? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this gift of community. For what can happen in our lives when one person hears the call. And they begin to care for another person. And they notice another person they encourage another person they cheer on another person they welcome another person they're generous god what a great thing it is to be able to celebrate and serve and love and give to each other because we've been called and lord i realize today that some of us may have been hiding we kind of stepped back and stepped away. Maybe we were hurt or disappointed, maybe even angry. But Lord, this morning, through the gift of your presence, you're calling us forward. Lord, I believe that this room is filled with an opportunity to see your light. That, Lord, every person here has been gifted to serve in your community. Every person here is called in some way to help reach another person. May we not rest until we say yes to that calling. So, Lord, help us to sense your call, to know your presence. Do again, Lord, in our spirits what maybe you did years ago and somehow, Lord, we lost focus. And help us to be patient and wise and discerning. And in everything we do, in all our interactions, may Jesus be present. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jason leads us, I just want you to know, if God is calling you and you just sense that you need to respond in some way, you're you're hearing, you're saying, Lord, I want to say yes to whatever call that is. I want you to know this altar is open. You want to physically and very relationally say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm open to receive that call. I'm open as I've ever been in my life to say yes to your call in my life. I invite you to come as we sing together. Let's stand as we worship.